Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode is sponsored by Book Riot Deals, our daily roundup of the best books on sale. Every morning, our editors scour the internet to find the very best books on sale from as many genres as possible. We find bestsellers and prize winners, great book club reads, and under-the-radar staff favorites we'd love more people to know about. There's YA, middle grade, adult, fiction, nonfiction, and more. Go to bookriot.com deals to find our finds of the day and to sign up for our newsletter. We'll send the day's picks straight to your inbox. That's bookriot.com deals. Welcome to Hey YA. From great new books to favorite classic reads, from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations, Hey YA is here to elevate the exciting world of young adult lit. Hey YA is a Book Riot podcast hosted by me, Sarah Hannah Gomez, and Tears of Price. We are recording on Wednesday, April 7th, 2021. Sup, girl? Hey, I'm excited to be here. Me too. And today like, would have been your inaugural episode, but everyone got a Tears of Bonus last time. Yes, yes. I had to jump in a week early, but it was fine. We kind of picked a topic that we both could just kind of jump in on because we knew that babies are going to do what babies do. And, you know, you can't always follow a schedule with that. So it was good. But it is nice to be here. Yes, I'm glad to have you. And for anyone who didn't listen to Extra Credit, Kelly had her baby. It's a very cute baby. And Kelly is okay. And the baby is okay. So we are happy for the entire Jensen family. Yeah, all good. Yes. I'm super excited about our topic. I'm always excited about our topics, but I love that you and I have been like <laughs> chatting with each other about this topic for like the last yeah. 10 days. <laughs> we it's so funny cuz like we come up with like these huge brainstorms of all these topics that we want to do and these two different topics that we both kind of brought up organically, we we're like, oh, those would go together really well. So I'm also excited about this because it gets into like a little bit of like YA publishing insider knowledge that like fans of YA will probably like maybe notice some trends, but it's not like, you know, n- not something that might be super obvious to a lot of readers, but I think it's really fascinating to dive into. Yeah, it's like the whole second part of our like from news stories to the latest in on-screen adaptations. I feel like we should add a like and features and investigative <laughs> <laughs> investigative information about YA. <laughs> like, yeah. Cuz I know she and Eric did an IP episode once that was I mean, I already knew what IP was, but if I hadn't, like I felt like it was a really good episode to to give me an idea of what that was. So Hopefully people would be excited today to get a little YA history lesson slash publishing 101 slash we're still just going to talk about books we like a lot because that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. And it's just it's kind of interesting to see like the different, you know, business directions that YA is taking, but that like ultimately result in some really amazing books that I think a lot of people love. So, yeah, we're going to dig in behind the scenes a bit. Yeah, it'll be fun. Do you want to talk about our first sponsor and then we'll get started? Absolutely. So our first sponsor is Learner Books, publishers of No Way They Were Gay. 
History has often left out stories of LGBTQIA plus people, men who loved men, women who loved women, people who loved without regard to gender, and people who lived outside gender boundaries. Historians have even censored the lives and loves of some of the world's most famous people, from William Shakespeare to Cary Grant and Eleanor Roosevelt. Join author Lee Wind for this fascinating journey through primary sources to explore the hidden and oftentimes surprising queer lives and loves of historical figures. That would have been perfect for last episode, since we talked about <laughs> queer there and everywhere. And yeah, I actually have an arc of this on my shelf, and I'm probably going to read it for the Read Harder podcast because it looks really interesting. I love the title, and also the content sounds great. And I know Lee Wind is the um, We're Here, We're Queer, What Do We Read website yes. from back in the day. So like, I would trust that like this is a book that you can you know, that you know you're getting from someone who knows what they're talking about. So Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great read. So our big topic, our first big topic. They're kind of the same, though. I like that Like yeah. we're going to have a lot of overlap. Yes. So really, I think what inspired, like, I think I proposed this topic when we were just chatting over Slack. But what inspired me was Last week, I was in Walmart, which I, I'm not normally in Walmart, but I just happened to be that day. And I like, you know, I'm a book person. I'm obsessed. I had to go see what they had in terms of books, especially since I live in a really small town where there's not a bookstore within like 50 or 60 miles of where we are in either direction. So a lot of people I know get books, you know, if they're buying new books and they're not buying them online, they're getting them from like big box stores. And I was in the book section and their YA section is pretty small, but I was just noticing that there has just been like this huge explosion of straight to paperback YAs. Like that is not anything that's new, but I feel like it's kind of undergone like this um, resurgence. And I just thought it would be really fun to talk about that on this podcast. Yeah, it it got me thinking about, you know, when, when we were youngins and... I think, you know, for the most part, like middle grade has always kind of been more like adult in that whole like published in hardcover a year or two later, you get the paperback, maybe there's a redesign of the cover. But YA, I guess, because the way society feels about YA kind of as it was getting started, I suppose also because, you know, until you know something is like working, you don't necessarily want to invest like a bazillion dollars in it. But as it was getting started, it was a lot more like just paperback. Yeah. I would say it has something to do with like, you know, adults see children's literature as like treasures. So, of course, they want it to be in hardcover because it's, you know, it's valuable. And then YA is like, oh, God, whatever, just print out a piece of paper and give it to the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I do think back of like when I was a teenager and obviously as a teen, I wasn't super super on top of, you know, what was coming out in hardcover first and then paperback. Like that was not something I particularly cared about. Therefore, I didn't really notice a ton. But if I think back to my middle school years and like the books that I had on my shelf, like there was a lot more mass market YA paperbacks and there were just a lot more like books and series that were coming out in paperback. And then I remember like there was this definite shift. And I want to say that that shift really probably coincided with the big YA boom, where all of a sudden you started noticing that people were getting more and more hardcover releases rather than like the straight to paperbacks um, that you would see probably like, you know, and I'm talking my teen years were like in the early 2000s. So, you know, I was just kind of like noticing 
that shift because I that was probably when I started buying my own books. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, you know, I'm buying more hardcovers than I am paperbacks. And uh, yeah, I just think that's really interesting because then it felt for like a while, like every new YA book that came out, it was coming out in hardcover. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I mean, we're almost the exact same age. So we were teenagers around the same time. But yeah, I because I did a, a paper on Sarah Dessen's um, cover redesigns over the years. And I remember getting in touch with a friend who works at Dial. And I was like, okay, you have to explain to me how this happened. Like the the first few books in her you know, catalog, I'm having trouble figuring out which edition was what. And she was like, we honestly don't know. I think we acquired that one from like a teensy weensy publisher. So no one has the original files and like blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know what? And I'm pretty sure when I got that, it was like a pocket paperback. So that that kind of makes sense. That oh, yeah. It was, you know. I remember the pocket paperbacks. Because <laughs> her first book, I think, was like 2002 or so. So... Sarah Dessen's first book? Something or, like that. Yeah. Or, oh, 99? I think it was 97, actually. I mean, Ooh, don't quote okay. me on that. But I definitely think it was the late 90s. Okay. But yeah, like her first books, I think, were not ever in hardcover. Maybe they've been released since then. But I remember buying the the catering one, The Truth About Forever. <gasps> oh, yes. The Truth About Forever. That is the first book of hers that I remember buying, and it was hardcover. And I remember being like, wow, this is like two hours of babysitting. Yeah, right. <laughs> I remember buying hardcover YA books and and just kind of being like, oh, like big gulp. Like that's, you know, quite the shift. Like that's, you know, it's almost two paperbacks. And I could go get two paperbacks for the cost of one hardcover. And yeah, when you're a teen, obviously, like that's a much bigger deal. And then I would say like it was probably around college where it was just kind of like I just accepted that like all the books that were coming out were in hardcover. And so if I wanted them, I'm going to, you know, be paying between like 18 and 20 dollars for them. So, yeah. And I think what's most interesting to me, though, in the last couple of years is that you are seeing more big publisher presses that are coming out with like straight to paperback lines. Um, so I think probably like the most significant one of the last few years is Swooned Reads, which is an imprint of Macmillan. And that was kind of started as like an offshoot of their online platform um, where writers could upload their books and people could read them. And then like if they had like lots of popularity, they would be offered publishing contracts from Macmillan. And those books were put out in paperback. And that, you know, I think that you made a note about like how that makes more sense as a paperback because a lot of times like readers could have already read them. So, uh, but they have a built-in audience. So maybe the paperback is like the better financial decision. Yeah. Oh, and I was vaguely remembering Spoon. And it's funny because now Wattpad is like the same type of platform and Wattpad Books is now an imprint of <laughs> Macmillan yes. too. That's also doing a lot of straight to paperback. But yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I think originally it made sense to do paperback because a lower price point is like babysitting money or movie theater job money, right? Like asking someone to pay $23.99 for a book when they make, you know, $5.15 an hour is <laughs> a lot. But yeah, I was also thinking, though, like the paperback books I bought as a teenager that were like originally in paperback was like Gossip Girl, The A-List. Yes. And those had a lot of money behind them and a lot of packaging behind them. Yes. So it's interesting that now with Swoon and Wattpad, I my guess is that those advances are lower than the typical like hardcover advance. So it's sort of like a reverse. But 
Yeah, they would have to be because, you know, you just an author does not make as much money on a paperback. Generally speaking, obviously, there are always, you know, exceptions. I am just one author. And I don't like, you know, make statements for the publishing industry as a whole. But generally speaking, the paperback royalty percentage is lower. So you are going to, you know, you're looking at a lower advance. But I also think that the appeal of these paperbacks is like they're hoping that they'll do really well and they'll sell really well. Right. And I know like earning out your small advance is better than never earning out your bigger one as far as career longevity. So yeah, because yeah, then you then you prove that like you went above and beyond their expectations. Like that looks Absolutely. better than like, no, I'm a failure. Sorry, you took a chance. <laughs> like, yes. So we have Swoon Reads, which um, is interesting. We now have Wattpad. One publisher that I also think is really interesting um, is Sourcebooks Fire, which, you know, technically speaking, they're an independent publisher. They're the teen branch of Sourcebooks. Sourcebooks is based in Illinois. And I mean, I remember when they launched their young adult lines, Sourcebooks Fire. I can't remember exactly what year that was, but I want to say it was probably like around 2000. 10, 2011, maybe even 2009. Um, but they've been around for at least a decade, I'd say. And originally their their releases, I think they were paperback, but then, you know, like the rest of publishing, they were putting out hardcovers, but now they have a lot of straight to paperback releases that really just, you know, fall into that sort of like what you would expect when you see a lot of like paper books on the shelf of a big box store. And that's what's also interesting about these straight to paperbacks is they tend to be genre reads, like in the mystery and thriller, romance and horror genres. So that is interesting, too, because I think, you know, you'd made the point about like, those are the types of books that like readers tend to just like blow through really quickly. Yeah, exactly. I think I mean, lots of like Pew and other research centers have proved that like people who read genre read more books, period, in the genre and outside than people who only read literary fiction. So, yeah, I think it's one of those like I don't have an MBA, but sometimes I feel like I'm smarter than like everyone in the C-suite when I'm like, hmm, but like more people buying more things at a lower cost. You still make more money than no people buying things at a higher cost. <laughs> like, I feel like you don't need a lot of math for that. Exactly. But yeah, like somebody buying four of your $10 paperbacks versus one of your $30 hardcovers. Like, I, you know, I think the math is working in favor of the paperback here. (laughs) And it's it's always interesting to me, too, because like I I feel like, you know, I think about consumer behavior. I first think about what I do. And if I'm, you know, in a Target or Walmart or whatever, you know, your box store, Costco, here we have Meyer. Um, whatever your store of choice is, it's like I see all of these paperbacks and oftentimes the stores will might even discount them a little bit on top of like the already low paperback price. And it's just so easy for me to justify like throwing two, three, four of them in the cart because I'm like, oh, you know, they're under 10 bucks and mm-hmm. it looks really good and it's, you know, such a deal. So I, I can definitely see how that's like really, really smart when it comes to, you know, consumer behavior. Yeah, like if you know that you have a buyer, then, you know, I don't want to say guaranteed sales because it's not like it's guaranteed guaranteed, but that's sort of like assurance of sales, maybe we could say. And yeah, yeah, like grocery stores, I've never seen a hardback book in a grocery store, but I see books next to like the greeting cards, you know, and they're mostly pocket paperbacks or, you know, maybe maybe trade paperbacks, but still 
paperbacks. And then PJ Library and PJ Arway are these two um, services based on Dolly Parton's uh, Imagination Library, I think hers is called. Dolly is a treasure. And so um, Jewish kids get a free book with Jewish content in the mail every month. And it was developed partly, you know, to let Jewish kids see themselves in books, but also to encourage publishers to publish more. And because even social justice sometimes needs capitalism to get people excited about it, all of a sudden publishers were like, oh, well, you're going to send this book to 20,000 subscribers. Guess we can publish it. And it's in paperbacks. So yeah, paperbacks, you know, they they are brilliant and they have done a lot for the publishing industry. So it does not surprise me that they are popular and it makes sense to me then too. And um, I believe it was last year, the year before that random penguin random house Delacorte press announced that they were doing like this original trade paperback line and um, it's called underlined and it's you know completely run by Delacorte press but they put out a book a month and i think that that really speaks to you know just how voracious genre readers are uh, because most um, imprints don't put out that many books in a year um, and like not brand new books. You know, they'll, they'll put out like, you know, new books, but then they'll also put out like paperback versions of books they've already published, but like a brand new paperback book every, every month is kind of high volume. So that um, line actually just, I, I want to say it just launched um, this year. And one of the books I have on my TBR is I Think I Love You by Ariane de Sombre. It looks really good. So yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I think we're going to see more of going forward. I hope so. I, I realize that we are two adults on a podcast about YA books, but I also really hate that adults are so into YA because I think we've forgotten that we are visitors that we shouldn't be catered to. <laughs> um, right. So I like the idea of a straight to paperback because it gets back to that whole like, you know, as a teen, maybe it's the first time you have a job, you're spending your own money and there's something either because your parents are making you or because it's like empowering to be like, I made this money and I get to decide where it goes. And paperbacks are not going to have like a $26 price tag. Whereas even yeah. YA hardbacks used to be like $13.99, then they were like $18.99, now they're $22.99. Like, so oh, yeah. even if it's like a $12 paperback, that's still so much more doable than a $30 hardback. Like, I mean, and adults also don't have money. We have no money. No one has money except billionaires. But I especially am like, stop serving the adults, serve the teens. You serve adults with children's books and adult books serve teens with teens books. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that's a good point, too, about like the the gradual hike in in book prices. I was just logging all my book purchases because I keep track of how many books um, I purchase each year, which is truly frightening, but it's good to keep me you know, accountable. And I noticed that um, Simon & Schuster's, all of their hardcovers, they're now like all $19.99, which is a little bit higher than they were previous years. So I'm I'm sure that's, you know, the pandemic 
the economy, all of that, you know, factors in printing costs are higher. Um, but it is nice to see like, yeah, these paperbacks and that um, and all the underlying paperbacks, they are $9.99, which if you've also been paying attention, most YA paperbacks, they're also kind of going up in price. And I've seen them as high as like $10.99 and $11.99. And a few like really popular paperbacks might even be $12.99. So I love that they're keeping them under $10, which is just really great. Yeah, for for teens and for accessibility for so many different reasons. And I just love that those books are also being put in big box stores. Because as I mentioned at the top of the episode, my town doesn't have a bookstore. So those cheaper paperbacks in stores like Walmart just make them more accessible to rural teens. Yeah, we do like to we like to rag on, you know, how there's a certain bookstore that, you know, basically has the market on bookstores in America, you know, and, you know, and then borders went out of business. So there's literally like one major bookstore that runs the entire country and decides covers and all that. And yes, we need to support independent bookstores and shop at them. But yeah, often in some places, Barnes and Noble is your only option or you don't even have that and you have like you said like target or costco or yeah making things that are affordable and we can't take everything down in one day so it's not fair to be like you know boycott this big box store when it's the only place for like literal hundreds of miles (laughs) for someone to buy a book like absolutely and actually, I feel like Barnes & Noble also like has had, in the same way that they have a whole lot of influence on covers, that I don't think um, like everyday readers realize how powerful they are. I would imagine they've had some influence on whether things go to hardcover first or simultaneously or what. I mean, my friend Zoraida, when she sold her first book to Sourcebooks Fire, I believe the deal was originally paperback and then... They like sent a mock-up of the cover to Barnes and Noble and other people, and they were like, "Make it hardcover and make this the cover, and then we'll buy it." Like, so yeah, there's a lot of power in those industries for sure. Yeah, they have they have a ton of power, but you know, we can't get rid of them in a day. So, do you want to share a couple of your recommendations for some straight to paperbacks, and then we can move on? Yeah. So I think one thing that hasn't changed too much is a lot of graphic novels still come out paperback first or paperback only. Um, so that's always a great a great place to look. Those have a lower price point. I have one book and I want to talk about the press more generally in our next segment, but Oxy by Mari Ahokoivu. It's, it's Finnish. I'm sure I super duper butchered it. And I'm sorry. Speaking of, it's a graphic novel. Um, and I believe it's coming out direct in paperback. So um, I'm super excited. The, the description sounds like very strange. And it sounded for a good while. I was like, this sounds like a picture book. Why is it saying it's 400 words? That makes no sense at all. And yeah, it's like a fantasy and there's a bear. And I'm just... I'm so intrigued. So I am really looking forward to reading that. And um, yeah, that's Oxy by Mari Ahokoivu. It's based on a myth, basically, from like a folktale or a myth. Um, So I'm really excited. Cool. So one of my 
most recent favorite straight to paperback recommendations is The Obsession by Jessie Q. Sutanto. And you might have heard her name if you also read adult fiction because her adult debut Dial A for Aunties comes out this month and it's been getting a lot of buzz. Um, But The Obsession actually came out two months ago in February and it is really great. It's published by Sourcebooks Fire, so straight to paperback. Um, I actually have seen it in like a lot of Targets and Walmarts. But it is the story of Logan, who is like, let's be real, he's a stalker. I should say really for like really quickly before I get too much farther, um, content warning for stalking, domestic abuse, and murder and drug use. But so Logan is a stalker and he's in love with Delilah and he like he's never really talked to Delilah. He's just, you know, sets eyes on her one day and decides he's in love with her. He begins stalking her and trying to, you know, get into her good graces. And one of the ways that he stalks her is he puts up a security camera trained on her house because he finds out that her mom's boyfriend is abusive. And he's thinking like, oh, I'm going to protect her and I'm going to like find evidence and, you know, then bust this guy because I love her. Delilah, meanwhile, has no clue that Logan's been watching her and she is living in this really tense situation. And one day um, her mom's boyfriend just kind of pushes her too far and she lashes out in anger and it results in his death. And it's, you know, not necessarily something that she intended to do, but also like it's pretty damning. So like if the police were to know what she did, like she would probably, you know, go down for it. So she's trying to keep this big secret, but she has no idea that Logan caught this on camera. And so once he kind of starts asking her out, she thinks like, oh, this guy's really great. How lovely that like, you know, I have something nice to look forward to after this horrible thing I've been going through. And then she finds out that he's a stalker and he has her crime on camera. And so she has to figure out how to outwit him. It is really creepy, (laughs) really good. It's dual point of view. And like the Logan chapters are so creepy. It's kind of scary how the author gets into his point of view, but it's really great. Highly recommend it. I also have on my TBR, I I mentioned already, I think I love you by Oriana Sombre. And I'm also looking forward to five total strangers by Natalie Richards, which is another straight to paperback YA thriller that I definitely picked up while I was in Walmart last week. So yeah. (laughs) My other one that I'm looking forward to is coming out simultaneously in hardback and paperback, which I think is genius actually, because it makes it affordable for someone who just wants to buy a book. And then, you know, for libraries and schools where you're going to get high usage, like hardcover is, you know, better to an extent. It, you know, it's more durable. You can cover it in that horrible plastic. So I like that it's being published for both. So you can just choose what works for your like personal reading style or use. And that is 30 Talks Weird Love by Alessandra Narvaez Varela. I talked about it quite a few months ago on this podcast, but it's about a 13-year-old in Mexico whose 30-year-old self comes to <laughs> comes to visit her and give her advice. And it's coming out from Cinco Puntos Press, which is one of the more well-known small presses. And I'm yeah, I'm super excited and I love that it's being made available at multiple budget points. I think that's great. So that's awesome. And that is like a really good segue into our next topic. But I think first I have to tell you about our second sponsor. Or you have to tell us about our second sponsor. <laughs> Somebody can. And that sponsor is <laughs> <laughs> Emporia State University's Master of Library Science program. It's an ALA accredited program that offers you the flexibility of online classes while also giving you a community of peers to build your professional network. Through a combination of instruction, 
Students are able to form deep connections to the coursework, professors, other students, and practicing professionals in libraries. ESU offers a quick and affordable way to earn your MLS with most students completing their degree in two years, even while working a full-time job. To learn more, visit our website at www.emporia.edu. S-L-I-M. And I just love that that's the sponsor because I used to be an adjunct professor for that program. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, can confirm, real program, does exist, has students, not a scam. (laughs) It's in in Kansas, but, you know, it's online, so you can do it from wherever. Magic of the internet. (laughs) Indeed. I am really excited about this next topic. I think it's something that lots of readers and book people are like, this is important, but we rarely like take the time, I think, to actually like make it a highlight instead of just a thing. I want to say this was even a task on Read Harder a couple years ago. It was, yep. Yeah. So we're going to talk about small presses and what they are, what they do, but also books that we want to read that are not from what's about to be the big three or four publishers. <laughs> yeah, the, the big five, they they are like the big publishers. They keep growing in number or yeah, growing in number. They keep growing smaller because they keep acquiring each other. Yeah. I mean, who cares about antitrust laws? <laughs> Not <laughs> Americans who made antitrust laws. That's who. <laughs> Uh, so we've already kind of touched upon a couple of small presses. I talked about Sourcebooks Fire, um, which, you know, yes, they are putting out a lot of straight to paperbacks, but they're also putting out a lot of hardcover new releases. And they've got just so many great books, especially good books that I'm really looking forward to that are coming out this year. Um, and you talked about Cinco Puntos. I did. Yeah. So I know for me, one of the reasons this is important is, you know, it's a lot like why we say that you should eat at local restaurants and go to local bookstores, right? Like small business is good. It means people. It means capitalism, but less terrible. It means, you know, not that all small businesses are ethical, but small presses, I think, tend to have happier employees, dare I say. Um, And certainly they have, you know, they're not beholden to like anonymous shareholders, you know, they're not necessarily employee owned, but there's, a, I think, a little more transparency, a little more like, I know the higher ups, because we all work on the same floor. Like, so I think it's, you know, it's important to support not just corporate monsters. (laughs) I still want all the books from the corporate monsters. Don't get me wrong. Corporate monsters are great. But so are small presses. (laughs) Well, and you also I think small presses offer you interesting books from either, you know, populations or parts of the world or um, just, you know, different voices that might not for whatever reason be getting more mainstream attention. And that is really cool um, because, you know, you technically speaking, I mean, we talked about how to define small presses or independent presses and independent you know, press could be anything that's not the big five, which are Harper, Simon and Schuster, Hachette, Macmillan, and Penguin Random House. Um, and there's a lot out there that are technically independent, but like I, I wouldn't call Scholastic a small press. Right. So it's kind of hard to define that. Like Sourcebooks is, you know, technically independent, but they're growing bigger and bigger. Um, so I'm not quite sure if many people in the industry would de- necessarily define them as. As small press, but 
they have definitely held that distinction um, in the past. Uh, so yeah, there's, uh, you know, just a huge range. Um, Abrams and Amulet, they're another one that's, you know, not a big five, but they're also pretty big. And they're, yeah, um, a lot of those end up getting distributed by bigger ones. So then you have this yes. weird, like, you know, I don't know enough about back channels to know how it all works. But yeah, it's like we can't escape. We can't fully escape the the behemoths out there. But I also, my way of fighting back is to only call it random penguin. Like it is a house of random penguins. I will yes. never call it its real name, especially when it becomes like Schuster Penguin House. Like I'm not. <laughs> I'm not <gonna laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's also been like, I'm, I'm just, you know, spitballing here. But like Candlewick is another great one. It's smaller, but, you know, they're also pretty big in terms of like the children's and young adult publishing scene. And they're huge in awards. Like there, if you yes. go to their booth at ALA Midwinter, the day of the awards, like everywhere you get everything at their booth gets awards. Yeah, they're pretty solid. Every year. Candlewick, 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 especially for children's. They have Kate DiCamillo. So like that alone, I think she <laughs> lets them stay in business while they take chances on other stuff. So yeah, I guess we should have, yeah, we should clarify that like all small presses are indie, but not all indie presses are small, I guess. Definitely. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of great independently published books and by that, I mean independently, like independent publishers. But yeah, they're not all the same size. So making that distinction is probably a good one. I started calling them major indies, like in my in my resume where I had to explain like how I do sensitivity reading. I was like, all the big five publishers and the major indies. <laughs> like I don't know if that makes sense, but like Scholastic, Chronicle, Candlewick, <laughs> Sourcebooks, like... Yeah, I would say that those are like the major indies for sure. And that's, you know, a distinction that might not like matter to the common reader, but <laughs> from like the business perspective, for sure. Or HMH, are they independent or are they under Hachette now? Uh, they're, HarperCollins is buying them. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So oh, I don't God. know what their status is right now, but they're also, you know, HMH, um, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, they're very old and established. So yeah. they have like that benefit too. That's a little bit different, I think, from um, not to say that like some of these smaller presses aren't as old or as established, but yeah, HMH is kind of a different beast, I think. Right. They're like Pearson too. Like they've been on like the textbook game for so long and just the, the education market that, yeah, they're... They're their own thing, but oh, of course they're getting acquired. Everything is going to be in, there should just be one building that's like American Publishing Inc. <laughs> <laughs> and it can just be right. like a skyscraper of like 60 stories. And that's just where all of publishing is. Well, do you want to highlight a few different presses and then we can recommend um, books from those presses? Yes, let's do it. One I've been very excited about in the last year and a half really is Levine Querido. And that is... Arthur A. Levine's imprint, he or his company, he had an imprint at Scholastic for more than 20 years. And um, then he left to start his own company because why have your name on an imprint when you can have it on a whole company? And they've been doing really, really cool stuff. You know, it's only been around since 2019. And yet they've put out like 20 books at least, I think, or are, you know, putting out this season. 
but it's like at least 20. Um, they're doing, you know, picture books, middle grade and YA. And I have noticed that they are acquiring a lot of foreign titles, which is That's really, exciting. really exciting. Yeah. So I'm seeing a lot of translations and stuff coming out of there. So he did um, last year, Apple Skin to the Core by Eric Gansworth, which I'm super excited about because Eric Gansworth's first novel is one that I like assigning to my students. And they put out a Let's Way, which was one of my favorite 2020 releases that I talk about like all the time. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, Arthur is a genius. He obviously has really good taste. He's been in this game a long time. And he really like, you know, he's one of those people who's never like very loud in the industry, but like, you know, it's an action speak louder than words kind of thing. Like he's really, he's done the work, he's doing the work and the books that are coming out of his company are beautiful. And they're being distributed by Chronicle, which is a major indie. <laughs> like, which is good. That means distribution means they sell in wider areas. So that's awesome. Exactly. So the first press that I'm going to talk about is um, Oni Press, which is mostly a comics and graphic novel publisher. They're located in Portland, Oregon. They were established in 1997. Um, they have put out like the Scott Pilgrim books. They also are the publisher of the Tea Dragon Society, which I know is super duper popular. Oh my god, that's so cute. <laughs> yeah, it's so adorable. I love all the Tea Dragon books, the games, the cards, like all the spinoffs. And that's, I would say that skews like, you know, more middle grade, but definitely enjoyed by YA audiences. But the book that I really want to talk about is Cheer Up, Love and Pom Poms by Crystal Frazier and Val Wise, which is a young adult graphic novel uh, that's coming out in August. So I'm sorry to do this to you, uh, but <laughs> put it on your TBRs, put it on your wish list. It is the most adorable graphic novel about a sort of loner lesbian who's very sarcastic. And because she's so antisocial, she is forced to join an extracurricular. She's pressured to go out for the cheerleading team. The cheerleading team has the first openly trans girl on the team, and she is the team captain. And so our characters are kind of, you know, thrown together because of this. But then they start forming a friendship outside of the cheer team, and they start falling for one another. And it's just this, like, really lovely, sweet, happy, uplifting book about, you know, them discovering what it means to, you know, work together on a team, falling in love. Um, it also has some really great trans representation, in my opinion. Um, I was like showing bits and pieces of it to my partner, and we were both just kind of like, oh, this is this is really great. Um, so it's a book that has a trans main character that is not super heavy. It does deal with some transphobia, but overall, like there's nothing that's, you know, dark or sad or you know it's, it's a very happy book so that's cheer up by crystal frazier and val wise coming in august from oni press i do see them popping up like more and more lately it's very exciting yeah so i want to talk about abrams and amulet so abrams is it's really old actually it's like 80 ish years old and their big focus is art. So, you know, I think they kind of got started in the the coffee table book and calendar biz. And, you know, then they moved into other other types of books. And they just do the coolest. Like, even their fiction is very artsy fiction. Like, they publish Cat Winters, who uses, like, old photos and things in her books. And, yeah, they're just, they're very art-focused. Their books are, like, 
they're not things you want to get as ebooks, you know, like they're things you want to hold so you can really dive into them. So I love everything Cat Winters does. But what I'm excited about that's more current is um, Eris Apparently by Diana Ma. That just came out in December. So I'm really, really excited to read it because I love books about terrible rich people. Kelly and I have like <laughs> talked about this before. Like she, I think she hates them as much as I love them, but I think our reasons are actually the same, which is like they're terrible people. But yeah, so you have this this girl who, you know, is just trying to make ends meet and then she kind of gets pulled into this like world of of stardom and celebrity and it just oh, it sounds like all of my catnip it brings me back to my like a list and gossip girl days and i'm super excited especially cuz the thing i talk about all the time is like i want more gossip girl but with like people of color in it and this is like a chinese girl who um you know turns out to be the descendant of an empress so super excited about that. And then Lana Popovich's Lady Slayer series is published by Abrams. Her first book is about um, Elizabeth Bathory, who is the countess from Hungary who like killed a bunch of her servant girls so that she could bathe in their blood. If you're into it, you're going to be super into it. I've read, there's another novel about Elizabeth Bathory by Elisa and Libby, but I'm like totally here for another one. There's a Julie Delpy movie and I love Julie Delpy. I'm obsessed with her. Yeah, so she's she's such a good character. So I'm really excited. It's horror. And then um, the next book in the series is Poison Priestess. And yeah, so that's about another kind of like murderer of yore. So they take chances on like really interesting stories that I think, you know, if you were to like put a synopsis, like I've been doing a terrible job butchering them someone wouldn't buy it because they'd be like, I'm sorry, a, a murder book for children. But like, Abrams kind of pulls that stuff out. Yeah, they're a great publisher. I like a lot of what Amulet puts out. So we noted briefly um, Cinco Puntos Press at, at a couple points during this podcast. If you're unfamiliar with them, they're a very small independent publishing company. Uh, I believe they're based out of El Paso, Texas. And they traditionally publish just a lot of books about like Mexican-American experiences, but also like the experiences of, of like border literature. And I think that that's so amazing. And I, I really took notice of them um, when Gabby, A Girl in Pieces by Isabel Quintero was um, not when it released, but when it, I think, won some ALA awards. And I'm blanking now on which awards it won. Um, but it is an amazing book. Totally, totally worth reading. I love it a lot. And that was like what put them on my radar. And if you check them out, they have a lot of really great YA titles, including the one that Hannah mentioned, 30 Talks Weird Love. They do good work. They come to Tucson for our book festival and they're just fun to hang out with. So I'm going to go with Soho Press as my last one because I think they are a really interesting. I often forget that they're indie. I think they're still indie. Who knows? Everyone's being purchased by everyone these days, but I think they're still independent. And when they started their um, teen imprint, it was really just going to be like mysteries and crime. And then, you know, they were doing well. So they expanded. And I think that's another interesting thing to talk about with like publishing and straight to paperback and all of that is we started with genre and people thought we were so good at what we were doing that we, you know, expanded and did more. Like that happened with Lee and Lowe and two books where it was originally, you know, she was looking for a sci-fi fantasy and now she puts out some realistic fiction too. So 
shout out to Leon Lowe and Stacey Whitman at Two Books for doing that. Anyway, but Soho. So there are two books I'm super duper excited about. And the first one is Mercury Boys by Chandra Prasad. And it's another one of my like catnip things because it's like, it sounds, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds like, you know, a bunch of terrible people and a secret society and like magic. And I'm like, okay, I'm I'm 100% here for this. And it's a school story and I love schools. And I just, yeah, there's a girl who can see something, you know, and no one else can see it. And then there's like dead people and being able to use like pictures to to see into the past. It sounds very butterfly effect too. So super duper excited for Mercury Boys. And then um, Summer in the City of Roses is another book um, that I'm really excited about. It's by Michelle Ruiz Kyle and it's inspired by both a Greek myth and a grim fairy tale, which I think is going to make for a very interesting combination. And then you throw it into 90s Portland. Very cool. So yeah, Soho, I think is another interesting one. They don't have the hugest list, but they've been like putting out interesting stuff and like slowly dipping their toes into different genres. So Awesome. So I wanted to shout out Peachtree Publishing, which originally started in the 70s as this publisher of like Southern fiction and humor. And they have a, like a really extensive backlist just because they've been around for so long. Um, and they just kind of keep up with that. And like a lot of their backlist books got a lot of recognition and awards back in the day. Now they mostly publish like children's books from board books and picture books all the way up through young adult. And I have been really impressed by them and they kind of caught my attention first because they have been publishing a lot of Australian fiction and I love Australian YA. That could be like a whole other episode that we have some other time because how much I love that entire continent on all of their YA publishing. They are leaders in there. They really are great. But a lot of those YA books don't actually make it over here to the US because the U.S. market is super, super saturated, um, which is something I know I think we talked about the last episode as well. And it is super saturated. So we don't really make a lot of room for these Australian, you know, authors. And Peachtree has been bringing some over. And I'm so excited about that. Um, so I'm really excited to read What I Like About Me and You Were Made For Me, both by um, Jenna Guyame And she's got two YA books that are sound very different, but also sound really really amazing and i have what i like about me um audio i just downloaded it the other day i'm not sure when i'm gonna listen to it but I'm, i like love anybody who's gonna help bring over more australian fiction and that is not the only thing they do they're also publishing <laughs> you know other like i don't mean to say original fiction but they are actively acquiring books here in the u.s and like from authors who are based here and putting out um stuff that hasn't been published elsewhere before but that is one thing that I appreciate about them. And I feel like we're running out of time. So I just really want to quick shout out some other presses and titles very fast. KCP Loft is the YA imprint of Kids Can Press, which is um, a children's publisher that is, I believe, Canadian owned. And they have like a lot of kids books, but they recently launched um, KCP Loft. And by recently, I mean like within the last five years. Um, one of their YA books that I super enjoyed was Manic Pixie Dream Girl Project by Lenore Appelhans. And it is super great. If you like The Good Place, you need to go like check out this book. 
The other one that I want to shout out is Uligan Press, which is a nonprofit trade press um, that is based out of Oregon. And they are basically, their focus is um, Pacific Northwest writers and fiction. They also are completely run by the students of the Department of English at Portland State University, which, you know, if you're thinking like, why would I pick up books that are being put out by master's students? Like, but no, like these, their books are really great. I read Forgive Me If You've Heard This One Before um, by Corelia Stetz Waters a couple of years back. It's a fantastic YA book set in the early 90s against this um, proposal of a very homophobic law that um, was, you know, up for um, election and votes in the early 1990s. And it's this beautiful coming of age story. So I highly recommend that one. Those are just, you know, two other presses that, yeah, I just wanted to shout out because they're really great. Yeah. I didn't come up with any titles because the most recent ones are middle grade. But yeah, shout out to Lee and Lowe, which has funny enough, like it started as a very small press and indie and then started acquiring smaller presses. <laughs> um, so now they have a bunch of imprints that were once indies, but they're still, yeah, they're a major indie. I guess I would throw them in there, but they're just so great at diverse titles. So I'll shout out um, Summer of the Mariposas and um, Hammer of Witches I am Alfonso Jones, um, just and Valin Maitani's book that I'm forgetting the title of, but they're doing good work over there at Lee and Lowe overall for their younger readers. And then two books is where you find their middle grade and YA stuff. So awesome. Yeah. Don't want to forget them because they're, they are one of those that like walks the walk. Yes. Oh, that was fun. We could have, oh man, I was like, well, they're only going to be like a couple of small presses. And then I had to pare down my list and I bet you did too, because there's a lot. Yeah, we could have kept talking for a bit more. (laughs) So yeah, but this has been fun. Yeah. So we would love to hear about your favorite small presses or small press books. And if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review. It helps us know how we're doing. It gives us suggestions for topics. And it just makes us feel good because we don't want to feel like we're just talking to each other. We don't actually care. We love talking to each other, but we would love your feedback too. (laughs) We want to hear from you. We want to hear from you because we already exist in our echo chamber where we congratulate each other on our great taste all the time. I would also like to congratulate Jen Zink, our audio editor, for putting up with us congratulating ourselves on our good taste. And just a reminder that you can find more YA stuff on bookriot.com. You can listen to me and Tirza even more on the Read Harder podcast, part of our insiders program. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at shgmcalicious. And Tirza, what about you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tirza Price. That's T-I-R-Z-A-H-P-R-I-C-E. Awesome. We will talk to you all in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Happy reading. Happy reading.